0: Uh, if you were here or if you weren't here, uh, we talked about this profound mystery, as Paul described it in Ephesians, the, the two becoming one flesh in the covenant of marriage. And we talked about how the oneness that we experience in marriage is a gift that's given to us. It's not something that we have to strive to achieve through our own efforts, but it is just granted to us by God. We also discussed how, in order to begin to understand the reality of one flesh in marriage that we first have to understand that we are one with God. That God's very nature is oneness. The Trinity is one. That We have an opportunity to be one with God through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross. And then God also invites us in to marriage and gives us this gift of oneness as a living testimony to the world of the oneness of God. And we managed to talk about the two becoming one flesh last week without ever mentioning the physical reality of that. And uh, the next two weeks, we're going to explore the powerful implications of the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. And right up front, I want to make a deal with you. In public speaking classes, you know how they tell you, you know, if you're nervous to picture your audience in their underwear. I'm going to promise not to do that <laughs> if you'll return the favor, okay? Okay. Because I'm going to be saying the words sex and naked uh, way more than it's going to be comfortable for either of us. So just telling you that up front, that's the way it's going to be. Um, So we have to handle this with the utmost of maturity, okay? This past week, my high school cross-country coach, uh, who had a huge impact on my life, he turned 60, and I went to his birthday party, and his wife got him this shirt for a gift. (laughs) That's the front of his t-shirt, Two wedding rings being the sex symbol. And uh, I wanted to put this up here because this is going to kind of remind us of uh, everything that I'm going to be talking about in terms of sexual intimacy is going to be talked about in the context of a marriage relationship, a covenant marriage between a man and a woman who are followers of Christ. Because any other kind of sexual relationship outside of those parameters is basically playing by different rules. And so I'm just going to kind of assume that that's what we're talking about here the next couple of weeks. And let me just remind us that if all humans followed God's plan for sexual intimacy, only being experienced in the covenant of marriage, I want you to think about the things that would not exist in our culture. Sexually transmitted diseases, abortions, uh, unwanted pregnancies, single parent homes, the emotional pain, that sex outside of marriage can cause, all those things would be either extremely small or totally non-existent. And so God knows how sex works best. And he designed it to be the most life-giving thing that it can be for us. So I also want to acknowledge up front that the realm of sexual intimacy is rife with hurt and pain in a lot of people's marriage relationships. I realize the delicate nature of this subject. Believe me, I labored over my words this week. Um, It was very uh, arduous. But these next two messages um, aren't going to address every issue that you currently might be having in your marriage relationship or or in your past. And uh, also, I'm going to be talking about things on a big picture scale because there are just way too many potential rabbit trails that uh, we could go down or issues we could try to cover that I just can't do in two 30-minute sermons in the next two Sundays. So just being upfront with that, I'm not gonna hit everything I could. I also realize that I'm a guy, and so my views on sex are certainly going to be biased. Um, In my defense, I will say that I've been married for 20 years, pretty happily. And um, I've read uh, a ton of books and have tried to really pay attention specifically to books that are written by a husband and wife co-authors, so I get a little bit of of both perspective. I asked my wife Kristen if she wanted to come up and just kind of share the duties with me this morning and, you know, give her side of the thing, and she politely declined. So you're just stuck with me. Um, If you are single here today or a teenager, I just want to remind you that everything we're going to be talking about um, is created by God. It is good. These are things that are going to be preparatory for you places and things that you're going to need to to deal with at some point in your life and so my hope is that you have a biblical foundation as you go through and and experience those things in life and also just as a church community i think it's important for us to understand that if you are a single person here today you should care about the marriages in our community you should want them to be vibrant and and as life-giving as they can be and you need to be praying for for married couples here And the same thing for married couples, you need to be praying for the single people in our church, that they would be living lives that are honoring to God and preparing themselves so if if God calls them into marriage someday that that they would go in well equipped and ready to handle that in a good way. In his book, Real Marriage, Pastor Mark Driscoll said this, he said, your biggest sex organ is your brain. Thinking rightly about sex is essential to your enjoyment of sex. So that's where we're going to try to begin today, because I believe, as with most things, that if we have a right understanding, if we see things the way that we should, then right actions should follow that. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles again to the beginning, Genesis chapter 2 this morning. How many people in here are nervous for me? (laughs) Don't be. I'm way more comfortable talking about this stuff than than you would imagine. So it's funny watching your facial expressions, though. That's a good time for me. Um, Genesis chapter 2, I want to look at the last two verses. It's right after Eve is created. And it says in verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I think it's important, first of all, that we understand the full implications of that statement. They were naked, and they felt no shame. Because what this is communicating is much bigger than just the physical nakedness, but they were also emotionally naked with one another. There was nothing in between them, no hidden things, no sin, no secretness. They were completely open and vulnerable before God, completely open and vulnerable before one another. Everything was perfect at that point. And then as you see in chapter 3, it says the fall of man. Most of you guys know the story. They eat the apple. Sin enters into the world. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. So the result of sin is shame and this desire to cover ourselves. Things are now hidden between us and god and nakedness seems way too vulnerable now and the truth is is that we battle that curse every day of our lives and especially in our marriage we hide not just from god but also from one another and certainly that desire to to cover ourselves and and to, to remain hidden has drastic implications for every relationship that we have with with another person, and then especially and including our spouse. Luke 19.10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Notice that it doesn't say who was lost or the lost. It says what was lost. So I want you to, to think about the Garden of Eden And Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed. And I want you to think about what was lost when sin entered into the world. What are all the things that you can think of? What was lost? Yeah. Innocence? What else? Yeah, John? Direct relationship with God? Okay. Yeah, there's a severing of that relationship. Openness. Openness. Yeah. Trust. Trust. Good. Focus on the relationship between Adam and Eve. Okay, the focus on the relationship between Adam and Eve. Yeah. So lots of things. <laughs> so Jesus is saying that he has come to restore and redeem what was lost. So his desire is to return us to the garden. To that place where where we can live into our true nature. Of who God really created us to be before we screwed it up. Because of what was lost, God is constantly pursuing us. He's constantly offering us opportunities to return to the garden. And sexual intimacy in the context of marriage is the pathway that can take us back to our true nature. Mason describes it in the book we've been looking a lot at here, The Mystery of Marriage. He describes it like this. He says, sin thrives on secrecy. And so it begins by setting up all men and all women in the private little kingdoms of their own hidden bodies, protected from the world behind fortifications of clothing. Even the closest of married couples, like Adam and Eve, are compelled to take refuge in this privacy, hiding not just from the Lord, but from one another. The light of nakedness is too intense, it seems, to bask in it for very long. Still, though banished from Eden, the first couple were not banished from one another's arms, nor from the marriage bed. This is one garden to which God continues to welcome husbands and wives, and where they are privileged to return again and again in order to expose their nakedness and be healed of secrecy and separateness. The marriage bed is, in a way, the fleshly counterpart of the confessional. And here it is that bonds of love and trust may be forged that will be strong enough to contend with the sin of shame, which arguably is the deepest and most fundamental sin of all. Why did Adam run from God? Because I was naked, I was afraid, and hid myself. So what do you think about that statement? I want you to, to look at it again and tell me if you think that is true. Let me frame the question like this. What would be the ramifications in your personal relationship with God if you took the discipline of confession out of it? This is me asking you a question. Responses desired. (laughs) Okay. You wouldn't be accountable for anything? What else? Yeah. Excuse me? Okay. Okay, so you wouldn't be humbled coming before God and having to be honest about ways you're messing up. (laughs) What else? You couldn't be healed, okay? Because first you have to admit (laughs) that you've done something, so you'd have these unhealed things stored up in you. That would create a barrier between you and God receiving. It would be impossible to receive from Him because we wouldn't feel worthy of receiving. We wouldn't feel forgiven. We feel guilty. What else? Anything else? Yeah? Well, there's very little that's unifying as confession. Because it's just another way of saying, this is who I really am. And I'm trusting you with it. Okay. Yeah. It's a, there's nothing more unifying than confession because you're telling somebody who you really are. And, you know, the level, and I've said this before, the level at which we experience love is directly tied to the level at which we reveal who we really are. As long as we keep things hidden from somebody, they can only love us to the level at which we expose ourselves. (laughs) And so we can't receive the kind of love and grace and forgiveness God has for us. Okay, so now I want you to think about that. Now I want you to, to answer this question. So what are the ramifications of removing or greatly weakening the sexual relationship in marriage. What are the ramifications of that? What do you think? If you were married for 30, 40 years and never had sex or had a really bad sex life, what would be some of the ramifications of that? Well, let's just be honest here, folks. I can tell you one. One. <laughs> Um, I mean, a trust would be huge uh closeness intimacy, a feeling of connection with your spouse. what else a lack, a lack of what lack of vulnerability yeah he yeah and so even you have a there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there'd be a loneliness there, like the Adam experienced before Eve was created. There's something unique about a marriage relationship and the sexual intimacy that happens there. I, mean, I can be friends with with people. I can be friends with lots of different people, even women, and have deep conversations. I don't need another friend. I need a wife. Women need a husband. And it's a different. Intimacy level that happens there. And so when he says that the marriage bed is, in a way, the fleshly counterpart of the confessional, that's interesting. What I'm longing for us, all of us, to begin to understand this morning is the depth of what is really going on when God calls us together and we embrace our spouse and in sexual intimacy. God's desire is for it to be so much more than just a physical release or this feeling of achievement or um, a temporary kind of oneness between two people. I mean, any, any pagan can experience or feel those things. If we will allow it, if we understand its power and its potential in marriage, it can be a return to the garden and, and a glimpse into that time when humanity... And God stood before one another with no shame and completely experienced God's unconditional love. To be embraced instead of rejected. And to hear the words uh, from our spouse in those loving encounters, the very heart of God, as our spouse communicates, you are safe here. You are free to be who you are. Broken and flawed, you're completely received. What healing power is possible there? I think it's a lot more than people can imagine. Mason again tries to describe all that is occurring when a husband and wife come together in sexual intimacy. He says the free and loving exchange of nakedness that takes place between a husband and wife is just one of the spectacular ways the divine ordinance of holy matrimony actually sets about to reverse the curses of original sin. Marriage attacks original sin, in effect, at its visible root, in the shame of nakedness, and defeats and heals this shame by directly confronting it on the safe and holy ground of a covenant relationship. For a husband and a wife to be naked together is like a kind of radiation treatment, the healing rays of which can be felt at the center of the soul. It is, as nearly as possible, a return to the very last statement of the book of Genesis that the book of Genesis makes about mankind's state of innocence in paradise. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. It's in this act of physical oneness that we most reflect the oneness of God. And as one author said, the act of sex is like touching God. It's a time when we taste most what oneness that we can have with our Heavenly Father feels like. It's a taste of the kingdom when once and for all there will be no more sin and no more shame. And as amazing as all of that sounds in theory, if you're like me, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, wow, I have really undersold all that this was supposed to mean. And and why is that? I think there's a lot of reasons. First, I think there's a basic lack of understanding, a basic lack of biblical understanding of what marriage is supposed to be and and what sexual intimacy is supposed to provide and do. And the church for far, far too long has refused to have honest discussions about this topic. And so we are left with few good sources of information. We've been lied to by the world And sold an image of sex that boils it down to personal enjoyment or emotional oneness or procreation at its best and a cheap substitute for intimacy, abuse, pornography, prostitution at its worst. So that's the first thing is just, I think, just a lack of good information. Secondly, because of its power for healing and oneness, it is the primary battleground of satan we've talked about this before any movement that we make towards god or towards other other people in christian community is going to be opposed by our enemy john eldridge in his book called love and war said the marriage bed is a war zone sometimes it can bring new meaning to that that idea of cold war huh How easy it is to forget what's at stake in the marriage bed, both its power to heal and the seriousness of the opposition that we face. And so it ought to be a primary area of prayer in your married life. Because if we understood the implications and the power of what a healthy sex life could provide, we would do whatever we had to do. To make sure that we were going to receive and experience all that God wanted us to get out of that. Again, Mason says this. He says, imagine what anguish it must cause Satan to have to stand aside and watch as married couples discover real pleasure and closeness and love on territory that normally belongs to him. But you know what the flip side of that statement is also true? Imagine what anguish it must cause God for him to sit by and watch men and women, husbands and wives, especially those who call themselves followers of him, continue a pattern of brokenness in the sexual realm of their marriage, denying one another, harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, using or manipulating one another for your own gain or satisfaction, putting conditions on their love. To continue to live as we are not the one flesh reality that God says we are, with the obvious physical expression of that coming in a sexual relationship, is unacceptable. We have to fight to regain what was present in the garden. Because if we don't, the enemy wins. Not just in bed, but in every area of our faith. And I can't tell you how many books I've read on this topic, and I've read four just to prepare for this message series this week, where the authors will, will use uh, an example or an analogy of sex as a barometer, or as a gauge, or as a test in your marriage. Let me read one last quote here today from Mr. Mason. He says, sex is a powerful outward symbol of the inner temper of a marriage relationship. It's an arresting and self evident truth that the quality of a marriage in all of its facets depends upon a wholesome and mutually satisfying sex life. And the corollary is also true that the partner's feelings about the marriage as a whole will almost always be reflected in the quality of their sexual relations. I've yet to meet a man who has said in the same statement, My marriage is great, but my sex life is horrible. I've never met a man that said that. Not that there isn't room for improvements, but if your sex life is lifeless and boring and stale or absent altogether, then the rest of your relationship probably is too. And if we believe that the marriage bed is the fleshly counterpart to the confessional, then intimacy and oneness there will carry over into creating intimacy and oneness in all other areas of your relationship. Your communication will improve. Your desire to serve and love one another will improve. Your ability to exhibit patience and love for each other will continue to grow and expand when a healthy sexual relationship is present. And guys, I want to let you know that none of this is easy As I said in the very beginning of my message today, that there is a lot of hurt, a lot of pain wrapped up in our life, in our marriage, in this arena, to the point where some of us probably feel like we're just in a pit that we just can't seem to get out of. And the reality is is that sometimes we know we're in that pit and it's causing damage to our spouse and then we're filled with guilt about that we're not sure how to proceed or where to go, how to move forward. My goal for today was just to introduce the topic and try to express as best as I could kind of a biblical perspective on this uh, subject. If we don't begin with the right picture of what sex is and why it was given to us by God, then all of our attempts to try to kind of figure it out. And make it better in our relationship just based on kind of our own understanding and our own effort is going to fail. Begin by praying that God would increase your understanding of what sexual intimacy is and what his design for it was meant to bring. And next week we're going to address some more specific and practical uh, things that I think will help grow physical intimacy in your marriage but I want you to remember as we leave today that right action follows right thinking. That's where we have to begin. We have to understand the, the heart and the mind of God in creating this and what he was hoping to accomplish. And we have to remember that in this battle that we have an advocate. Remember, Jesus said, I have come to seek and save what was lost. And so if our desire has been lost, if our perspective has been lost in marriage for what sexual intimacy is supposed to look like and what it's supposed to achieve, Jesus says, I have come to save what was lost, that I am in this with you. I want to redeem it. There's hope. I have the power, the strength to turn things around. But it begins with understanding his intent. It begins with praying And understanding that this is a battle, but it's a battle we have to fight. We can't just go on with it not being all that God wanted it to be. So thank you for hanging in there with me this morning. As I said in my email, this week was PG. Next week, PG-13. So uh, the middle schoolers will be in their room across the hall, which will be great for all of us. Um, So pray for me this week um, as I labor through the next message. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, I pray that we would remember our initial created state. God, that when you created husband and wife, that we were naked and unashamed before you. God, that none of the hiddenness, the brokenness, the shame... Was, was, was there, God, and so the relationship between you, between each other, was perfect and whole. And God, your desire is to bring us back to that place, back to our true identity. Not to just allow the world and uh, our own selfishness and our own pain and misunderstandings to derail and devalue this beautiful thing that you've given us. God, that helps most reflect that physical oneness that we can have with you. So Lord, give us energy and determination to be in the battle, to not just settle for okay. God, heal our wounds and our brokenness. Help us to bring those things to the table and to seek healing if we need it, counseling, whatever we might need to do, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you are tender and compassionate towards us. Pray that we would be that way with our spouse. And God, just speak to us, God. Help us to understand what you want us to do from here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.